to face the realities that we are experiencing here and now in the light of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat, friends. <laughs> kind of tangled up. So a word about that song. Some songs I have like love-hate relationships with. Um, and that song is a really interesting dynamic there where we sing, you're never going to let me down, you're never going to let, you're never going to let me down. How many people feel like you've been disappointed with God before? You ever, ever experienced that? Right. So it's challenging to sing a, sing a line like that, but here's what's, here's what's good about that song. Uh, the reality that what follows that statement of you're never going to let me down, which can maybe kind of create some sort of, res- or, uh, some sort of tension inside your own personal experience, this you are good. You are good. This, this assurance, this, um, this um, retelling, this testifying to the unchanging character of God. So there's a difference, right? We have, many of us, been disappointed with life. We've been disappointed with maybe the will of God or what has happened in our lives. Um, and, and we want to be honest about that, but we also want to be able to say, and this is what you can say in the long run, you can say, but you're good. This happened. I wish it didn't happen this way. We live in a broken world, right? So all kinds of stuff like that happens that causes real disappointment. But what we can count on, friends, is the assurance that God is good. His character doesn't change. All right, so I'm not supposed to preach today, so I'm going to stop. But uh, that's just a word for you this morning from me. Um, Welcome to Emmaus Church. My name's Nathan. I'm so glad that you're here. We will be here through March, and then we won't be here anymore. We will be downtown at the theater, which we purchased a few months ago. Yeah, so our first Sunday, in case you're new here today, welcome. I hope you feel right at home, and uh, that this will be a challenging morning for you, an encouraging morning for you, and I hope you'll come back. If you come back in April, we won't be here. We'll be in the theater right on the strip downtown uh, G Street. Now it's Lincoln Boulevard, 9 and 11, two gatherings starting April 2nd, all right? Good. Raise your hand if you like a Bible. One of the ushers will hand one to you. We're going to be in the first part of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. And if you're seated on an aisle and there's a basket under your chair, would you hand the basket down? Inside these baskets are simple cards. If you'd like to hand off your contact info because you'd like to receive our once a week or so very brief email newsletter, you're welcome to fill that card out. It'll also help us to welcome you here and help you uh, get connected where to places that would be helpful. All right. Good. Well, um, I think that it's very valuable to hear from a variety of voices. In 2016, we had eight or ten different people speak in, on our Sunday gatherings, and I think that's really healthy for us, really good for us. Um, the last couple weeks, I had some time away, some other responsibilities. So, And then, as you know, we're just packed with details in, in regard to our move to the theater. We are in crunch time. Uh, we have a short window of time when the, the, the current church that is there moves out, and then we get to move in. And so um, I'm super grateful for um, Jeremiah's ability to come and speak to us for these couple weeks. I want to invite him out to join me again this week. Welcome back to Emmaus, Jeremiah. We're glad that you're here. Jeremiah started an organ. Yeah, go ahead. Thank you. Jeremiah started Forge Sacramento, which is an organization um, that trains people to be missionaries in their own neighborhoods. Now he is training to be a counselor at a local high school, which we're really excited about. Uh, Jeremiah has this powerful ability to speak to people, especially about engaging the cultures in which they live. And so I'm excited to have him speak here today, his second part of a two-part series about privilege and perspective. Last week was about standing, standing, and this week is about sitting 
God bless you, brother. We you, brother. appreciate your ministry with us and welcome you. Thank you for being here. Grateful preaching. to be here. Thanks. Thank you, Nate. Good morning. Are you glad to be here? Me too. Me too. It is, it is a joy to be with you last week and both this week. And it's going to be part two of the series we began last week called Standing and Sitting. Ultimately, we're talking about posture. We're talking about posture. Last week, we're standing. This week, we're going to be sitting. And I don't necessarily mean the literal uh, posture as when we are standing and sitting, but actually more of a figurative, it's the posture that we're going to go into downtown Lincoln. So think of this time, last week and this week. And if you weren't here with us last week, um, the media team here at Emmaus is very faithful in uploading those to the podcast. Thank you for the men and women that do that every week. Um, it's already up there. I listened to it this past week. And um, you can get a, a listen of that if you weren't here with us last week. Um, but we're talking standing and sitting, which is ultimately about posture, the posture that we're going to take into downtown Lincoln. We're five weeks away, right? Anybody else excited about that? Yes, yes, yes. So the kind of posture we take into that place, oftentimes, I'm grouping myself into this group as followers of Jesus, we sometimes come to the world with our chests puffed out, our nose lifted high, thinking we have the truth, therefore you should listen to us. And with the best of intentions and with pure hearts, we want people to know Jesus, but at times it's our posture that gets in the way of people actually feeling the love of Jesus. So this time of posture, as we take a look through the, the life and the teachings of Jesus, what it looks like to have a posture of service. To approach downtown with the heart of Jesus and to love it with that kind of a posture. That's where we're heading this morning. We're still going to be in Matthew chapter 20. So if you have a Bible with you or you can flip open the um, app that you have, you can follow along with us. And the line that we had this last week was, where you stand determines what you see which I feel like is universally true, whether it talks about um, things, spiritual things or life or perspective or politics or relationships, where you stand determines what you see. Someone's background, someone's experiences, that is going to impact how they view all of life. The story I told was a good friend of mine who was at a stoplight who thought she saw a place called feline chiropractic, a chiropractor for cats. But she was relieved, and I was relieved, when it was called lifeline chiropractic, when she turned the corner. Where you stand determines what you see, okay? The other line that we took away was the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like, Jesus says this quite a bit. It's one of the reasons why I love Matthew, because he tells a lot of stories that begin with the kingdom of God is like. I just love that even Jesus sometimes can't put his finger on what it is this kingdom, when God is fully in charge. And so he tells stories and stories and stories, and he invites us into them. And we've heard this, maybe some of you heard this all your lives, but you don't really quite know what it means. And what I offer is that the kingdom of God, when Jesus says that, that means this is what it's like when God reigns. When God is fully in charge, this is what life looks like. So we just got done, uh, Jesus just got done telling this story on uh, this past uh, a few verses up, we're going to begin this morning in verse 17. But before that, I have a question that might scare some of you in the room. I took a, a sip of water intentionally to let the intrigue build right there. Okay, at the count of three, we are all, at the same time, going to say our middle names. 
Some are terrified right now because only like seven people in the world know their middle names. And that's okay. Don't worry, we're all going to say it. I'm going to say it too. I have the microphone, so it's going to be a little bit louder. But at the count of three, we're all going to say our middle names. You guys in? Here we go. One, two. Well, I guess technically not like on three, but like after I say three. Because you know, those people are one, two, and then they do it. It's like, I didn't say three yet. Okay, so one, two, three, and then we're going to say it, right? One, two, three. There we go. My middle name is Renee. Okay, it's my dad's name, Renee. When you were younger, maybe even still now, when did you hear your middle name? When you were in trouble. And when you heard it, did it cause you to pay attention a little bit more? You're like, oh, whatever is happening right now that I am doing, typically it's damage to something else, person or property, I should stop. Right? And we kind of heighten up and pay attention. Yeah? Now, when I was growing up, uh, my, my, both my mom and my dad grew up in Spanish-speaking homes, believe it or not. And so when I heard my name in Spanish, that was like even another level. If I heard, Edamia, it was like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay? So when someone says our middle name or we say words or, or, or things are positioned in a certain way, cause us to pay attention, that's going to happen this morning in this passage. We're going to see a contrast, almost two identical stories, but with different outcomes and different kinds of characters, and they're pitted right against each other. And what I think is happening in this passage, what Matthew is doing, is he is inviting us to pay closer attention to what's happening. This morning, God is saying our middle names. We're not in trouble or anything, but he's asking us to lean in a little bit more. We're going to see a direct contrast, and it is marvelous how Matthew does this, the, the writer of this gospel. And it's causing us to lean in a little bit. We're going to start in verse 17. As we move from standing to sitting this week. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. Both literally as it was going north and also in elevation. Jerusalem is where the temple was at. So oftentimes they spoke of it as, as we're going up to the temple. Going up to Jerusalem. On the way he took the twelve aside and said to them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, though, he will be raised to life. I imagine Jesus and the 12 men that he's traveling with, the disciples, as they're commonly referred to, they have kind of a family meeting during the road trip. I don't know if you and your family have family meetings. We do. And Bella, my eight-year-old, it's her job to see if everyone is present and accounted for. It's a family meeting. And Bella goes, Mom, present. And we all go around. When it gets to Lucy's turn, my three-year-old, she says, Lucy, presents! Because she thinks presents is coming. Family meeting, pulls them aside, I imagine, kind of like a huddle. It doesn't say it in Scripture. This is where my my imagination goes to. Pulls them aside. He says, we're going up to Jerusalem. This is what's going to happen. The people in charge, they're going to put me on trial. They're going to condemn me to death. I'll be handed over to the Gentiles. And he lists three things, which I find interesting that mocked is in this list. Mocked flogged and crucified, all things that cause damage. It seems that even when we mock, it seems that our words are also things that do damage to other people. 
Now, Jesus has done this now three times in the book of Matthew. He said this is what's going to happen. And each time, the first time and the second time, now the third time, he's given more details on what it's going to look like when we get to Jerusalem. He's given it in full detail. He says, but on the third day, I'm going to be raised to life. So you can imagine maybe the disciples just like, maybe starting to take shape. Like, what does he mean? What is he really saying? Family meeting happens. Verse 20, then the mother of Zebedee's sons. Zebedee's the father. Zebedee's sons are James and John, the Zebedee brothers. James and John. Then Zebedee's, uh, uh, the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. Sometimes moms have the worst timing. There's a somber, like, solemn moment like, hey, this is going to happen. We're going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to hand me over to death. And then you see James and John's mom, hey, oh, sorry, am I interrupting something? Anyway, so I hear you're not going to be around anymore. Let's keep going. Verse 21, Jesus says, what is it that you want? And she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Hey, there's going to be a vacancy in office, vice president, speaker of the house. What do you say? Oh, is now a bad time? <laughs> yes, mom, yes, now's a bad time. This story actually comes up in other gospels too, and only in Matthew's account does it show that their mom asked. So scholars are kind of divided on which, like, how it happened. I'm leaning towards the character of James and John that they said, hey, mom, could you do us a solid? Remember when you were a lot younger and when you wanted to tell that other boy or girl that you liked them, but you couldn't go tell them yourself, so you sent somebody else to do it because it might have been embarrassing? So those under 20 are like, what are you talking about? We just, you know, stalk them on Snapchat and then eventually get their number and text them. Right? Well, back in the 1900s, what you did is when you liked someone, you said, hey, go ask them if they like, like, like me. Like, like, like me. Because you were too, this is a big question, like, Jesus, um, when all is said and done, can we be like the next in charge, the next in command? And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. We're going to stop at verse 22. You don't know what you're asking, says Jesus. Sometimes I feel like, even in my own life, that I'm praying for something. I'm asking God for something. And maybe sometimes his response is, you don't know what you're asking. I don't think you understand the severity of those implications. Even this week, there's, we're going through some challenges. That's, I'll leave it at that. And maybe you'd say, yeah, me too. I've been praying for some, for some big things, for some, for some big circumstances to change, and I wonder just maybe if Jesus is saying, you don't, you don't know what you're asking because what I'm teaching you through these things can't be taught through that method, through that route. You don't know what you're asking James and John's mom says, hey, can they sit on the thrones in your kingdom? And Jesus says, I don't know that you understand what I'm going to have to go through to sit on that throne in my kingdom. The cross comes before the throne. There's no shortcuts in the kingdom 
of heaven. There's no shortcuts in the kingdom of God. We have to go through this period of suffering before, this dissension, this humility coming down before there is ascension. Jesus has to travel down, down, down to the cross, become obedient to death, even death on a cross. Philippians 2, therefore God exalted him. This is the shape of the V all throughout scripture. Jesus coming down and then ascending. Jesus is saying, I don't know that you understand what I am going to have to go through. The cup I'm going to have to drink, which is symbolic for like um, God's wrath. Like I'm going to have to go through these things. In the garden later he prays, Father, if it be your will, may this cup pass. Like if there's, a, if there's an alternative way, I'm up for it. Jesus says, I don't know that you understand what you're asking. So friend, brother, sister, I just want to offer that, and it may not be the most comforting thing, <laughs> but it may be the truest thing right now in life, that wonder if Jesus is, is there with you in it, with you in it, Emmanuel, with us, God with us. He isn't Emmanuel only on Christmas time when pumpkin spice lattes are in, Okay? He's Emmanuel every day of the year. He's with us. And I wonder when we're like, God, would you please get me out of this? Would you please? I want to find that spouse. I want to get this raise. I want to be able to move. I want, to, I want this to happen with my son and with my daughter. I want this to happen at work. And I wonder if Jesus says, like, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking because maybe you want that, but your heart isn't ready. I'm here with you in it. The cross comes before the throne. And who is it? The beauty, the irony of this is that when Jesus is on the cross, who's at his right and at his left? Unnamed criminals. Not prestigious, known, popular men that follow Jesus, but unnamed criminals are on his right and on his left. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. He says, do you think you can, you can drink the cup I'm about to drink? We can, we can. Let's continue. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. There will be suffering that happens in your life, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared by my Father. It's, it's my Father who delegates who's going to sit where. Verse 24, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant. They were fuming with James and John, I think for two reasons. Number one, how could you? Do you even understand we were having this and he was telling us he's going to go and die and you're more worried about what your position is going to be seen in front of others. You want to be in these thrones. You want to be popular and be known. I think that was reason number one. And reason number two was like, why didn't I think of that? Why didn't we think about that? That's a, we should have just asked him. They're fuming. Why do you guys get to sit in these seats of greatness? Jesus called them together and said this, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and particularly speaking to those of Roman citizenship, which at the time was kind of in charge, politically, socially, they were in charge of what happened financially. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Verse 26, not so with you. What Jesus is saying, if I could be so bold as to, to offer that. He's saying, hey, the position of power and authority and privilege that you have, 
It's not to be lorded over and leveraged and exploited for your own gain. It's not going to be like that with followers of Jesus. It's not going to be like that with you. And I, can I confess, as someone who's been in ministry since 2001, the church at many times, the church globally, not Emmaus, but the church, all of us in ministry, at times there are leaders who use a position for their own self-gain. And I think Jesus said, it's not supposed to be that way with you. So think of where you're at in relationship and the power differential you have with maybe family members or at work or with colleagues or, or in school or, or whatever it is, that position you have of privilege and, and responsibility, is that being used for your own self-gain? For you to lord over and to leverage, to exploit. Jesus says it's not supposed to be like that with you. That's one of the ways that we stand out from those around us. So this position, the, these high seats, these, these places of prestige, those aren't to be used for self-gain. In fact, the, how you get there is through humility and through submission and through surrender and through some suffering that happens first. It's going to be different because the kingdom of God, as I said last week, is the great reversal. It goes opposite of our expectations, turns the tables, flips them, turns them upside down. I've got the Fresh Prince theme song going in my head right now. Maybe for some of you too. Let's continue on. Instead, Whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. This position of last in society. Verse 28, just as the son of man, second time he says the son of man, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but rather to serve. And to give his life, to give all of his life as a ransom for many. The question is, you want to be great and have the best seats in the kingdom? I think Jesus is saying, you, you, you want that, James and John? You want that? You, 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 you know, we all want to be proud moms, right? Or all the moms want to be proud moms. I guess I want to be a proud dad. But we all want to be proud of, of our sons. Like, you want, you want those seats? Serve. That's what Jesus says. Do you want those positions of, of prestige? Serve. You want to be first? Then be last. John's gospel says he showed the full extent of his love, and he puts the towel around his waist, and he washes the dirty feet of the disciples before the meal. You want to be great, he says, then be, be the last. Serve. This posture of servanthood, it's like this is the prerequisite to loving downtown, downtown Lincoln. You want to go in there? You want to make an impact? You, you, you want to serve? Do, do we want to do that? Yes, then let's have a posture of servanthood. Not in, we've been here for a while. We're going to come and do these prepackaged programs because we know, come in and what? can we do for you? We are here to serve you. What can we do for you? Verse 29. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Think uh, Labor Day or Fourth of July weekend and trying to get in and out of, of town. 65? Is it pretty? I'm, I'm over like in Sacramento, like near 80. Does it get pretty like parking lot-ish on 65? like it does out there? Okay, so this is around the time of the year when Passover was about to happen. So a lot of people are traveling. So a large crowd is following Jesus. Let's just remember that. This is Costco on a Saturday. 
Okay? Like, why is everybody here? And they're thinking the exact same thing about you. Okay? So it's very, very crowded. There's people that are everywhere. Verse 30. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, there must have been a commotion. There must have been people saying things, people calling his name. Remember, they're blind, but they heard him. Jesus didn't walk like with heavy steps. At least we don't gather that from anywhere in Scripture. But most likely they could hear a buzz, hear people talking about him. The blind men hear this. They see that he's going by and they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Remember when I said earlier, son of man's been said twice by Jesus? A way to communicate that he is fully human. These blind men say, son of David, knowing that the Messiah is going to come through David's line. David, slingshot David, that it's going to come through that particular line. So it's these blind men that know who the Messiah really is. Son of David, have mercy on us. The Messiah, fully divine. Jesus saying, son of man, fully human, have mercy on us, they say. Verse 31, the crowd rebuked them and told them, be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus is walking by. Maybe you felt like there's just one more chance that I have, and I'm going to cry out to God with everything that I have. People are trying to silence these blind men. Have mercy on us, they say. They shout all the more. Verse 32. Jesus stopped and called them. And here's the question, friends. What do you want me to do for you? It's kind of obvious, right? In some sense, it's like, well, come on, Jesus. Like, but this is the humility of Jesus that's not taking any kind of assumptions with two blind men, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Gives them the opportunity to say what they want. Gives them the position to say, like, this is what I desire. doesn't come in like, I, I know what you guys probably need. This is the humility of Jesus that he asks somebody else. This is the servanthood posture of Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Lord, we want our sight. We want to see. It's the beautiful irony that the blind men are the ones who actually see who Jesus is. Verse 34, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Those are our two stories this morning. And we're going to put them here on the board side by side. Remember I said the middle name and the contrast and what is God really saying to us this morning? We're going to put that here on the board. Raise your hand if you're like, I'm a visual learner. Yes, very good. Very good. Me too. Me too. This also helps. And sometimes just hearing these back and forth, we aren't really catching it. So we're going to put it here on the board and we're going to see because it is like eerily the same thing, but also beautifully different in so many ways. Okay. So we're going to put this little T-chart here. There we go. And on one side, I'm going to do, I have a few, few notes here. I'm going to do verses 20 through 28. And on this other side, I'm going to see 29 through 40. To 34. So Matthew chapter 20, here's one story. There's 
two men that asked Jesus for something, essentially. It's actually two men's mom, but we see that. They're asking something of Jesus, yes? Yep. Are these known men? So we're, gonna, we're just going to start there. We're gonna, I'm going to try and lob a few softballs to you, and you just knock them out of the park, okay? And I promise I'm not going to play too much of what is Jeremiah thinking, okay? Because that doesn't get too fun, all right? So we have known men, disciples. They, they are known, and, and they have at least a position of like, hey, th- those guys have clout. Those guys have influence. Those guys aren't pushed aside. So we have known men in James and John. And how about the two blind men on the side of the road? Because we have two stories where two men are asking Jesus for something. Is what's happening. So the first two, James and John, are known. What are the names of the two blind men? We don't know. We don't know. Not even the gospel writer gives us insight into that. Unnamed. Unnamed and unknown. We already said these are disciples. Those that have been with Jesus for about three and a half years. Those that have seen Jesus. And in verse 29 through 34, who's, who's the two men that are asking there? Blind men, right? Those that can or cannot see Jesus. Cannot see Jesus. And they haven't been with him for three and a half years. What do we have next? We have, uh, let's go right here. These are outsiders. What happened when they said, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us? What did the crowd do? Rebuke them. Be quiet. Stay on the sides. Overlooked, ignored, marginalized. You're over there. We're doing important things here with Jesus. You stay over there. Outsiders. Outcasts. What were the disciples? Insiders. Insiders. These men, we see um, the disciples, Jesus and his disciples were heading towards the temple. Matthew chapter 21 is when the triumphal entry, the Hosanna, Hosanna. They're heading towards Passover. Passover bound is what I'll say. Is that all right? Passover bound over here. It's a reminder for somebody. Don't forget that thing you got to do. The chime over here if you didn't hear it. Um, And what was happening with the men? What were they doing? Sitting and begging. Could they actually participate in Passover? They couldn't. According to the law, they could not. They weren't even able to participate in that fashion to go in and worship at the temple because it was some type of deformity that they had. This is according to the law, Matthew, not Matthew, um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. These laws and also the, the laws created outside of that said, you guys can't come in. If you're unclean, if there's something that isn't air quotes, typical or normal, then you can't come in. So we have maybe Passover bound right here, and then we have, uh, let's go just not Passover bound. It's kind of underwhelming, I'm sorry, than not Passover bound. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, who's helping the disciples in verses 20 through 28? Mom, by how, how so? Crowd participation encouraged. 
vouches for them, advocating. Mom goes and does the maybe embarrassing or scary thing, right? So we got mom helps. Let's, let's put mom in the category of like the third party, right? We have Jesus and the men, like first and second party. Third party is mom, okay? We'll put that. Good old mom. I'm going to put a heart next to her. By the way, dads have terrible timing too. We're not, we're not immune to that. I'm not just trying to, I love my mom. I talked to my mom yesterday. She's the best. It was a good time to talk to her too, okay? So mom, who's the third party over here? The crowd. The crowd's the third party. What did the crowd do? Rebuke them, shush them. So were they, were they helping them? No, actually, we're, we're making it even tougher, right? So the crowd over here, I'm going to put just a sad face, just like that. Next we have, where do these disciples want to sit? What were the seats that they wanted? Right, right and left? Yeah, and it, did this signify, this signified what? Just like musical chair style? Like, I want to sit next to you? Or what did this, what did this kind of mean? Power, prestige, yes. So let's go, let's go um, R slash L, seats of power. Where were the blind men sitting? On the side of the road. Pushed off on the side of the road. What do the two blind men want from Jesus? Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And their response is what? We want to see. We want to see. And I'll help us out right here. The disciples wanted to be seen. They wanted to be seen from others. Because it seems like at least when you're on top, more people can see and recognize and affirm who you are. Seems like that. When the disciples um, want this to happen, what do they want their request to, to, to materialize? The kingdom? How about this? Let's go to the other side. When did the blind man want to see? Now. Now. We want, we want this now, Lord. Son of David, the ones who can really see who Jesus is, the blind men, they say, we want to ha this happen now. The disciples were asking for something later, later in the future. Let's go future, later. This is a direct contrast of the disciples, the followers of Jesus, the known, those helping them, the blind men on the side of the road, and may us as a community have the posture where we want to usher in God's kingdom now. Now. For a lot of this, I don't know where your kind of journey of faith, how it kind of comes into this room. Uh, mine began um, in small churches in East Texas. I was raised a cowboy fan, I'm sorry. Okay. But there was a lot of talk there when I grew up that if you were to die tonight, what's going to happen later? Where will you go when you die? Which is a, a, a pure question, and there's a good intentions behind all that, and hey, I want you to be in heaven, and all those are good things. But what that robs us of is now. How are we going to live 
now, today. Is it important? Is eternity important? Absolutely. Yes, it is. At the same time, right now is all that we have. This opportunity is happening a little bit later, but five weeks, let's just say it's now-ish for us. There is work that God has called us to do now, for now, because there are plenty of people and having the heaven and hell conversation, they maybe can't even imagine hell being much worse than what their lives are right now. Do I believe in both? Absolutely. But I think Jesus is calling us with a posture of servanthood to be a people that reveal his kingdom now. So may we pull the tension, as important as later is, may we pull the tension a little bit over here to the present. To be a people that sells the people of downtown Lincoln, the kingdom of God is here. This is what it looks like when God reigns. And by our lives, by our choices, by our speech, by our love, we hope that you see that. May that be the heart that you show people here in just five weeks or fewer. We see a little bit later Jesus entering into Jerusalem, not standing on, on some kind of a platform, but sitting on a donkey, sitting down on a freight animal. Not a big Clydesdale Super Bowl horse, but a donkey. The posture he invites us into, friends, is that of serving others. It has been extremely intentional. We've been talking about this, that I wanted to come and offer this before, this kind of this before we head to this place where God has prepared for us in downtown Lincoln. May that happen with the posture of servanthood. May we be like the latter, the ones that see Jesus. That even, even though it may feel like we've been kicked to the side or ignored or marginalized, that it's Jesus who comes to us and says, what is it you want me to do for you? May, may we have that question for the people of downtown Lincoln. What do you want me to do for you? People that listen, people that have the humility to, to be directed by what God is asking them to do. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to pray. Father, where we sit and how we sit determines how others will see the kingdom of God. Jesus, you left your seat in heaven. You left your throne to come down to be, to begin as a helpless baby. Thank you for doing that, and thank you for entering into both the joys and the pain of our lives. May we have the posture of servanthood by the places that we choose to, to sit in, in that sense. May it show others what it's like when you fully reign. Ask your blessing on my friends and on the road they have before them and the great work that you are inviting them to do with you in the beautiful city of Lincoln. Give us your posture of servanthood, Jesus. Lord, there's, there's, I feel like there's some in the room that 
you're leaning in and you're asking them, what is it that you want me to do for you? Father, give them the boldness and the courage to answer you, to believe that when you ask that, that you have the ability to do it. So meet them in their pain, meet them in their time of need. Allow them to see you as one that says, my son, my beloved son, my, my daughter, my beloved daughter, what is it that you want me to do for you? And may you take the conversation from there, Lord. In the name of the one who gave his life as a ransom for many, Jesus, amen. In, in so far as it's a, a blessing um, to receive admonishment, encouragement, and challenges from outside our community, would you um, just express your gratitude to Jeremiah with me today? Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Thanks. All right, friends, would you stand up with me? Uh, if you're new with us, we do this every week. We just want to express the, the call to love right